Uh, today, we are going to jump right back into our series entitled Fight for Your Field. And we began three weeks ago really talking about spiritual warfare and what does it really mean to fight for our field of influence. And we've been talking about how that every person has a field of influence, right? You have a friend, right? Your friends, your relatives, your associates, and your neighbors that are in your field of influence. And God wants you to be a person that not only lives in a Christian bubble, right? How many of you know the devil's not intimidated by your Christian bubble? He's not intimidated by the fact that you're just going to get saved and live your little Christian life until you die and go to heaven. No, Satan is intimidated by the fact that you're actually going to step outside of that bubble. Amen? That we're not going to live in a little Christian bubble. We're going to actually impact and influence our world for the gospel of Jesus Christ because we have been called to be ambassadors, literally representatives of Jesus Christ, taking the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ to our world. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We got any believers in the house today? Come on, now's a little weak. Any believers in the house? Amen. He who, he who overcomes is he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And then the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant. Literally, be alert, be aware, and be on guard. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Amen? We have an adversary. We are at war. Amen? And so we talked about how that if you're born again, any born again people in the house today? If you're born again online, why don't you put that in the chat box there? I'm born again. If you're born again, then we recognize something. You win, right? If you're born again, you win because it's through the finished work of Jesus Christ that every person gains access into the eternal glory of what we call heaven. And nobody comes to the Father, Jesus said, except through me. So if you're born again, you win. But then we recognize something. Once the battle for your eternal soul has been lost, right? Once you're born again, you win. Now Satan attacks your life, right? Now the battle is for your daily life. And it's not just for your daily life. It's for your influence. Satan wants to steal the fruit of your field. He does not want your life to impact and influence other people. It's not just about stuff. It's not about wealth, health, and life. All those things become targets of demonic attacks, but he's not after the stuff. He's after the influence. He's after your field of influence in which other people's lives are redeemed. Because once you get born again, how many know you got some good news to share? Once you've been forgiven, you got some good news to share. Once you've been redeemed and rescued from the power of the enemy, you've got some good news to share. And it's worth shouting and declaring and decreeing to the whole world. Why? Because I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was dead, but I've been made alive through Christ. Can I get an amen from somebody today? And you got something worth sharing. And so once you're born again, the battle shifts. It's no longer a battle for your eternal soul. Now it is a battle for the fruit of your field, your influence in a world that desperately needs the hope of the gospel. Look at that first point on your outline today. We talked a little bit about this last week. We said the key to spiritual warfare is you have to know your enemy, you have to know yourself, and you have to know your God. 
Now, last week we talked a little bit about three things that you need to know about yourself, three things that you need to know about spiritual warfare. And if you have not listened to that message, if you weren't here last Sunday, I encourage you to go to our app and you can listen to last Sunday's message because you need to hear the Word of the Lord because part of winning the daily battle for your influence and your field is that you've got to know yourself. You've got to recognize your greatest strength. You've got to identify the strength strongholds and the weaknesses where the enemy comes in emotionally and we've got to understand that we are at war amen so you need to know yourself today what we want to do is we want to begin to identify what it means to know our enemy and what it means to know our God so today we're going to look at one way that Satan attacks us and we're going to look at one way that God strengthens us against that attack so we can win so look with me in Job chapter 1 Verse 6, we read this scripture last week. Uh, I told you we were going to read it again. The Bible says this, One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. And Zechariah 3.1 says, And then the angel showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against Joshua. And Revelations 12.10 says, And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Did you recognize the repetitive theme there? Satan is the accuser. Amen. He is the accuser of the brothers. So look at that next point on your outline. Satan uses accusation. Satan uses accusations to condemn us. Satan uses the sins, mistakes, and regrets of our past. Let's just be honest in here today. Every person in this room and every one of you watching online, we all have sins and mistakes and regrets from our past. Every one of us, if we could dial back the story of our life, we would rewrite some of that story. We would undo and redo some of the decisions and the choices that we have all made. And Satan, as the accuser of the brethren, comes against us and he tries to bring accusation and condemnation by reminding us of our past. How many are glad that the Bible says that God forgives our sins and casts them as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again? Anyone that reminds you of the mistakes of your past is not doing the work of God. Amen. Satan is the accuser that wants to condemn us and wants to accuse us of our past mistakes and our past failures. And the truth is we all have them, right? We all have those things that we would undo if we could undo them. But let me give you a great thought today. This is really huge. There's nothing you can ever do to undo your past mistakes and sin. There's nothing that you can ever do to undo your past mistakes and sin. But you can be forgiven and freed from the stronghold of sin so you don't repeat the pattern of sin in your present life and in the future hope that God has for you. I can't undo it, but I also don't have to repeat it. Can I get an amen? 
I can't undo it, but I don't have to repeat it because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness and there is freedom through the blood of Jesus Christ for me to not only overcome my past, but to become a new creation in Christ so that I live a new life that brings God glory. Can I get an amen from somebody today? So Satan uses, he uses our past sins and mistakes against us. And he also uses the missed opportunities of the present to bring accusation and condemnation against our lives. Think about the times now as a Christian, Satan will, will accuse you of missed opportunities. You, you, ever, you ever had one of those moments where you should have said something and you didn't say something? And you should have done something and you didn't do something? And you should have intervened but you didn't intervene? and you miss those opportunities, Satan will come at you in those moments when you miss opportunities and he'll say, and you call yourself a Christian? If you were a Christian, you would have done that. If you were a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. If you were a Christian, you would have, you would have stepped up or you would have spoke up or you would have, you'd have engaged. How can you even call yourself a Christian doing the things that you have done? Sound familiar? <laughs> it's the voice of accusation. Let me just read. I just wrote down some things that I thought, this, just words that I've heard in my own life from the accusation of the enemy. Words like this, you can never be forgiven. You can never be loved. Nobody will ever accept you. You're garbage. You don't deserve to live. You can never be used by God. Your life is over. You've messed up too bad. There is no hope for you. You call yourself a Christian. If you were a Christian, you would have never done that. God doesn't love you, and he could never use you. All of those are lies. All of those accusations and condemnations from the enemy are lies from the enemy. Jesus said, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. If he's moving his mouth, he's lying. And he uses accusation to bring us under the condemnation and the shame of our past so that we abandon and forfeit the present and the future hope that God has for us. Look at that next point. Condemnation causes us to judge ourselves unworthy of the forgiveness, freedom, and justification that comes to the finished work of Christ. Here's the truth, guys. The world may never forgive you, and the world may condemn you. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus does not condemn you. John 3, 16, we all kind of know that scripture, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 17, I think it's just as significant because John 3, 17 says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. See, here's the good news. The world may never forgive you and the world may constantly condemn you. And let's just be honest, the world does. Let's be really honest, the world, our own flesh, and the devil do a pretty good job of condemning us. I mean, your worst enemy is probably the person looking at you in the mirror, judging you and condemning you and accusing you of the mistakes of yesterday in order to disqualify you from embracing the purpose of God for today. But here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus did not come to condemn us because we were condemned already. <laughs> God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world. The world was already condemned 
by the standard of the world, by our own flesh, and by the devil. We are all guilty, deserving of death and hell. God did not send Jesus to condemn us. He sent Jesus to save us from the condemnation of the enemy so he could liberate us to live the purpose and the plan that God has for our lives. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 3 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. Look at this last statement. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Think about this. Jesus condemned sin so He could justify sinners. Jesus condemned sin so that He could justify sinners. You know what the word justification means? The simplest definition I've ever heard that I believe drives the point home is simply this. It is just as if I have never sinned. That's how God restores us to Himself. That's how God reconciles us to Himself. Jesus condemned sin so that Jesus could justify sinners in the sight of God. Let me just tell you something. That's good news. Because the truth is, every one of us are sinners condemned by our own sins, destined and determined to spend eternity in hell if it were not for the grace of God and the sacrifice of God's Son Jesus on the cross to redeem us from our own self. What a powerful thing. Look, look with me in the Gospel of John because in the Gospel of John, we get a beautiful picture of this justification and restoration and forgiveness that God brings through Jesus. The Bible says, John chapter 8, verse 3, as he was speaking, talking about Jesus, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? Now look at verse 6. This is an important verse. It says they were trying to trap him by st into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Let me give you a clue right here about what's happening. The individuals, the scribes and Pharisees, bringing the adulterous woman to Jesus did not want justice. I want you to hear that. They were not looking for justice. They were looking for an occasion in order to trap Jesus. These individuals did not care about the law, and they did not care about the woman called in the act of adultery. They were concerned about trapping Jesus and driving their own agenda against him. They wanted to accuse and condemn Christ to remove him from the equation of their religious world. When Jesus stepped on the scene, he messed up religion, guys. He messed up the tradition of man. He messed it up from top to bottom. And he invaded a world so bound by legalism that they could not experience the grace of God that Jesus was going and desiring to bring. And so all of a sudden, they step in. And I want you to hear that. They weren't looking for justice. 
and they weren't worried about the law, nor were they worried about the woman in adultery. They were intent on capturing Jesus. And the reason we know that is true is simply this. Number one, the Bible tells us they were trying to trap him. Number two, do you know this? Remember, think about this story with me for just a second. According, at, at this time, let me just say it like this. At this time, the Jews were living under Roman oppression. And under Roman oppression, under Roman authority, the Jews did not have the right to execute someone or give the death penalty. That's why they had to take Jesus to Pilate and to Herod because they said, we can't execute somebody, but you can. Y'all remember that? So think about this. If these individuals were concerned about justice, they would have taken her to the Roman authorities to have the law enforced and death executed but they weren't worried about justice because they didn't take her to the court they took her to the crowd because they were not pursuing justice they were pursuing accusation and condemnation not against the woman they were against Jesus and you need to understand that when accusation and condemnation comes it is not the work of God. And we live in a crazy world where it is so easy to make accusation. <laughs> and so easy to bring condemnation. <laughs> without the justice of a court system that actually gives somebody the opportunity to be heard. And so we recognize what's happening. We recognize the scheme of the enemy. And I love Jesus. Let me just say this to you today. We ought to be smart like Jesus. <laughs> Jesus saw through it. Jesus saw through the scheme. Jesus saw through the plan. Now let me just tell you what he wasn't doing. Jesus was not saying there was something wrong with the law. And Jesus was not saying, I'm against the law. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us very clearly that God is a God of justice. Amen? And there are consequences and there are repercussions to sin. Can I get an amen? And God might forgive you, but the state of Alabama may not be so forgiving. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus was not undermining the law. Jesus was addressing the issue that was at stake here. This wasn't about justice. This was about accusation and condemnation of a person that was being bypassed around the judicial system in order to use a crowd to manipulate a verdict. And we see it all the time. We see it in families. We see it on social media. We see it in the world. Last year, we had riots in our streets. You know why there was riots in the streets? Because they were not looking for justice. You don't burn down your city looking for justice. You don't hurt innocent people looking for justice. You don't violate other people's rights when you're trying to, quote, defend your rights when you're really pursuing justice. They did not want to pursue justice. They wanted to create riots and chaos because they were not looking for justice. They were looking for condemnation. They wanted to condemn and pass verdict on our nation without going through the process to bring justice and righteousness. And we ought to be smart like Jesus. 
we ought to recognize that when we see that in our lives, in our world, that behind, behind the mob, behind the crowd, behind the right, there is a spirit of manipulation that is driving for condemnation and accusation, not the justice and righteousness of God. And look at Jesus. He's so smart. Verse 7, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and rode in the dust. And then when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Don't even one of them condemn you. No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, let me give you a great thought about Jesus. Jesus never condones sin. He never condones sin. But he also never condemns sinners. Man, that's powerful. That's a power. I'm just telling you, that's enough to be a Christian right there. That's enough to give your life to following Christ by the realization to know that God never condemns, never condones sin. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And then look what he said to her. Now go and sin no more. Why? Because Jesus never condones sin, but he never condemns sinners. Because he died to justify the guilty and to redeem those who were lost and doomed to hell by getting justly what they deserved. And I'm so thankful for the grace of God. How about you today? Look at that next verse, and then we're going to move on. Verse 12, I love what Jesus said. And then Jesus spoke to the people one more time and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. You don't have to walk in darkness. I'm not going to condone your sin, but I'm not going to condemn you as a sinner because I'm going to bring you out of the darkness of your past and usher you into the light of my glory so you can be a new creation in Christ. Old things can pass away, and behold, all things can be new. Can I get an amen from somebody? Look at that next point. Satan knows that if we live under the black cloud of condemnation, we will live in isolation and separation. Robbing us of the fruit of our field. Remember what we're fighting for, guys. We're fighting for our influence. We're fighting for the people that are in our lives that we're supposed to reach. We're fighting for that field of influence. And Satan understands if you live under that black cloud of condemnation, you're going to live in isolation and separation. Condemnation creates shame and guilt. And all of a sudden you find yourself withdrawing from instead of engaging in the life that God has for you. You don't have to be bound by the past. You can be liberated in the present and you can embrace the future that God has for you. And this, by the way, if you don't realize, is really, really good news. Condemnation, think about this next statement. Condemnation causes us to forfeit our field we literally just stop showing up. How many times have we seen people just stop showing up? And when I say stop showing up, yeah, sometimes they physically stop showing up. They stop coming to church. They stop coming home to their family, and they stop going to work. But you know what I've recognized more than that? I've recognized that people will physically show up, 
but they won't emotionally and they won't spiritually engage. And they'll still come to church, they just won't spiritually be engaged in the church. They'll still go home to the family, they just won't spiritually or emotionally be engaged with the family. They'll still go to work every day, but they're not spiritually or emotionally engaged in what's happening on their job. And they just stop showing up. And all of a sudden their influence and their impact and the passion and the zeal and the glory of who God is in them is no longer shining out to the world. They become an empty shell that has forfeited their field of influence. Because they have allowed the enemy to use shame and condemnation to keep them from showing up for the glory of God. And I just want to encourage you today. I don't know what your sin is, and I don't know what your past is, but I know the blood of Jesus is greater. And if that's not true, we need to just pack up and go home and shut the doors. If that's not true, we might as well walk away. If the blood of Jesus is not greater than any sin and every sin, then we need to just roll up the carpet, lock the doors, walk out of this place, and go do something else with the rest of our lives. But if it is true, come on, if it is true, if the blood of Jesus is greater than any sin, then we've got a message of hope that reaches every person on planet Earth. Because all have sinned and come short. Of the glory of God. Amen. Philippians 3. Let me give you one more scripture. And then we're going to kind of flip the coin here for just a minute. Philippians 3, uh, 12 through 14. I love this scripture because it's the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul's interesting, interesting character. Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He is probably, apart from Jesus, one of the most famous New Testament characters in the entire Bible. And we all kind of know about the Apostle Paul. I think we forget sometimes, though, that the Apostle Paul was Saul. He was Saul the murderer. He was Saul the persecutor. He was the guy, Saul, who killed Christians, persecuted Christians, beat Christians, imprisoned Christians, and spent his first half of his life against the gospel and against Christianity and literally laid coats at his feet as they stoned Stephen to death. He was a murderer in the worst sense of the word. And if there was anybody, think about this. If there was anybody that could have allowed the condemnation and shame of their past to keep them from pursuing the future and the hope that God had for them, it could have been Paul. I mean, imagine, imagine the accusations of the enemy. You mean you're going to go and preach to those people? You, you, you don't realize you locked up his brother. You killed his grandmother. Paul, you're going to go in there and you're going to act like God's already forgiven you and all your past mistakes are gone and, and you're just going to walk in that church and you're going to preach the gospel and you're going to open the scriptures and, and you're going to declare the good news of the gospel all the while knowing that these are the very people that their families were persecuted by you, their families were hated by you, their families suffered because of you and now you're going to walk in there, Paul, and you're just going to act like everything's okay and God's forgiven you and now you've got a purpose and a high calling. Can you imagine the accusation Satan must have brought against him? Can you imagine the finger pointing that people must have had when Paul walked in the church? That's the guy that used to go a Christian. I can't believe y'all are going to listen to him. But I love what Paul said. Look at Philippians 3. I believe in, in this scripture he gives us the secret to overcoming that. Look what he says. 
He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Now look at verse 13. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. I've not, got, I've not accomplished the things God called me to do. I'm still pursuing it. I'm still reaching for it. But look what he says. He says, but I focus on this one thing. One thing, Paul said, I've had to focus on. If I'm going to do the things God's called me to do, if I'm going to live the life God's called me to live, if I'm going to reach the people I've been called to reach, I'm going to have to focus on one thing. What's the one thing? I'm going to forget those things that are behind. And I'm going to press forward for what lies ahead. Paul, the murderer, the persecutor, who called himself the chief of all sinners, said the secret to overcoming accusation and condemnation is one thing. I'm going to forget the past, and I'm going to reach forward to what God has in forward me. Look at that next verse. Verse 14, he said, I'm going to press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Why? Because my past doesn't have to define me. Because my future has been redeemed by the grace of God. Amen. And if Paul the murderer can be Paul the apostle, then surely God can use me and you. Surely God can use me and you. So let's flip the coin now. Satan uses accusation. How does God strengthen us against the attack? I love Ephesians 6.10. Look at it with me. Paul says this again. He says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. How do we, how do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Look at this next point on your outline. Satan uses accusation, but God uses affirmation. He affirms us as his children. Listen to this. He uses affirmation to strengthen us. He calls us out and he calls us up to be the person he created us to be. God uses affirmation to strengthen us. God uses affirmation to call us out and to call us up to be the people that he has called us to be. Look with me in the book of Judges. Judges 6, it's the story of Gideon. It's a great story. It says, And the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an Oprah, which belonged to Joash, while his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. So he was threshing wheat in the wine press because he was hiding from their enemies. And look at verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. If that would have been us, and I'd have been calling Gideon out, I wouldn't have said, hey, look at that guy hiding over there. He's a mighty man of valor. I'd have said, hey, look at that coward hiding over there. See, the world... The world calls people what they see people to be. God calls us what we were created to be. The world identifies you by your current action or your past mistakes. God identifies you by his purpose and the future glory that he has for your life. And when God looked at Gideon, he said, Behold, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. 
God uses affirmation to strengthen us. He calls us out. Think about this. What was God calling Gideon out of? He was calling him out of hiding. He was calling him out of isolation. He was calling him out of separation. He was calling him out of a place where he's hiding from his enemy. He's saying, Gideon, you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to run anymore. You don't have to look over your shoulder anymore. Why? Because I've called you out of hiding, and I've called you to be a mighty man of valor. I'm calling you up to be the person that I created you to be. What a powerful picture of the affirmation of the Father. And if you'll be honest with yourself, you've been in some dark, dark moments in your life. And think about this. If you'll think back in some of the darkest moments of your life, you've heard the Lord say, you've got this. It's going to be okay. You're going to come out on the other side. You've heard the Lord say, don't, don't give up. Don't, don't give in. Don't walk away. Let's fight one more day. Let's just put one more foot. You've heard him affirm you. You've heard him call you up. And you've heard him call you out of hiding to be the person that he's created you to be. Look at the second thing I want you to see is how does God use affirmation? God strengthens us through affirmation to confirm his presence and his power are with us. We are never alone. In Joshua chapter 1, the Bible says this, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan into the land that I'm giving you. God just did two things in Joshua's life. He called him out of hiding. He said, Joshua, Moses is dead. It's time for you to come out from under the shadow of Moses. And it's time for you to lead the people into the promised land. It's time for you to come out of hiding and begin to take the place I have for you. It's time for you to come out from under the shadow. He said you were there divinely appointed because you needed to learn and you needed to grow. He said, but the time has come. Moses is dead. Now let's rise up and lead the people into the land I have for them. Look what else he says. Verse 5. And no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. And be careful to obey all the instructions that Moses gave you. Don't deviate either to the right or to the left. And then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. For only then you will prosper and succeed in all you do. And this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God uses affirmation to confirm his presence. And his power in our lives. Think about how many times you've just heard the Lord say, I'm with you. You're going to make it. We're going to walk through it together. If you'll listen, I want you to I want to encourage you in this today. If you'll listen, you'll hear that affirmation of the Father. God will call you out of hiding and God will call you up to be who he's created you to be. And then God will affirm his presence and his power in your life. You are never alone. In your darkest hour, you're never alone. In your deepest struggle, you're never alone. I am with you. 
and I'll never leave you and forsake you. Jesus made that same promise when he ascended and left his disciples. He told them, I'll never leave you and I will never forsake you. You're not alone. Look at that next point. God uses affirmation not only to confirm his presence and his power, but God uses affirmation to confirm that we are his children and that he loves us. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus is being baptized, and the Bible says this, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And in Mark 9, verse 7, it's the story of the transfiguration. Jesus reveals himself to the disciples. And the Bible says, And a cloud came over and overshadowed them. A voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. I want you to consider something this morning. I want you to consider that of all the people on planet earth that needed affirmation and confirmation from the Father, Jesus was the only one that didn't. There was no sin that he could be accused of. Satan had no ammunition against Jesus. He could not point back to his past and say, you remember when you did that? I can't believe you did that. You remember when you said that? Oh, how are you, you going to call yourself son of God when you're doing those things? There was no sin in him. And Jesus even himself said this. Jesus in the Gospel of John, he said, I know where I came from. I came from the Father. He said, I know where I'm going. I'm going to the Father. And I know that the, God, that the Father has given all authority to me. Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he was going, and he knew what he had. If anybody on planet Earth was secure in their identity, it was Jesus. But still, listen to me, but still the Father affirmed him. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son. Hear or listen to Him. See, God affirmed Jesus. And He affirmed, number one, you're my Son. And number two, I'm pleased with you. I love you. And I want to just say to you today, God affirms us. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I love you. And I'll never leave you. And I'll stand with you. Look at that last point, because I want to close with a thought this morning. Accusation is from the enemy. Affirmation is from the Father. We've got to know the enemy. We've got to know our God. And victory happens when you respond to the right voice. Victory happens when you respond to the right voice. I, I want to share with you what I believe to be a lie that we've believed. When I was preparing this sermon, I actually had the thought that the voice of accusation always is louder than the voice of affirmation from the Father. And when I had that thought, the Holy Spirit checked me and said, that's a lie. I know it seems like the voice of accusation is louder than the voice of affirmation, but this is the picture he gave me. He said, Keith, he said, the volume of the voice that you hear is determined by your position to it. The volume of the voice that you hear is determined by your position to it. If you're living in, in isolation and separation, you have drawn near to the voice of the enemy. 
and the shouts of, of, of accusation and condemnation seem so loud you can't hear anything else. But if you have responded to the voice of the Father, and the closer you draw to your Father, guess what? The louder and the louder and the louder and the louder the voice of affirmation gets. And when Jesus spoke over his Son, it wasn't a whisper. It was a shout from heaven. And everybody heard it. Now, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I've heard God speak to me on the inside, and I'm just telling you, He spoke, and I've stood up. <laughs> I've heard God speak when my head was down, and God spoke, and all of a sudden, my head was up. And this is what the Lord wanted me to say to you today. The voice you respond to determines whether you live in victory or defeat. And the volume of the voice is determined by your position to it. If you're here today and you're struggling to hear the voice of affirmation, let me give you a great word. Draw close to God. Draw near to God, the Bible says, and He will draw near to you. God is not condemning you. God is not judging you. God is not shaming you. God is extending His grace to you today. And He's saying, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If the voice of accusation is so loud that you can't hear anything else, then repent. <laughs> change your mind, change your direction, and start walking toward the Father. What may sound like a whisper, you will find out is the greatest shout you've ever heard. Yes. It's the shout of a warrior declaring, Rise up, you mighty men! and women of valor because the Lord your God is with you let's bow our heads together today I don't know where you're at on that spectrum maybe you're a positive 10 and you're living in close intimate fellowship with the Father and you hear clearly and loudly his affirmation maybe you're a negative 10 and you're living in isolation and separation and it seems like all you can hear is the accusations of the enemy I want to just encourage you today wherever you are draw close to God just turn to him this morning say God I need you God I love you God I want to draw close to you I want to I want to be near to you the Bible says that God is near to the brokenhearted he doesn't separate himself from us in our pain. It's in our pain that God will draw the closest if we will allow Him. So wherever you are on that spectrum, let's just say, I'm going to move closer right now than I've ever been. And let me encourage you in this. Don't stop moving until the shout of affirmation is the loudest thing you hear. Don't stop moving until the shout of affirmation is the loudest thing that you hear. I want to close with this with every head bowed, every eye closed for just another moment. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, Pastor Keith? I've never experienced the love of God. I've never really even heard the voice of God until now. I know right now God's speaking to me. And I've never been saved. Jesus called it being born again. 
And if you're here today or you're watching online and you say, Pastor Keith, today's my day. I want to be born again. I want to accept Jesus, the price that he paid for my sins. I want to accept his forgiveness. And I want to live my life for his glory. If that's you right now, every head bowed, every eye closed, just raise your hand. Today I want to be born again. I want to be saved. I've never been saved. I've never truly given my life to Christ. If you're watching online, just hit that little hand emoji. Type in the box, I'm raising my hand. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. If you're born again, you win. And if you're not, you lose regardless of what kind of life you live. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Today, salvation is free for whosoever will. So let's just pray this prayer together. If you're joining us online, if you're here in the room today and you've never been born again, let's pray this prayer together. I'm asking everybody to say it out loud with me. Let's say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty and the punishment of my sin. I confess that I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I receive the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Amen. Well, God bless you today. We love you. Let me remind you, if you have not signed up to serve at our Summer Fest in two weeks, make sure to get the app out, sign up, register. We need your help, and we're going to make a difference. Amen. In our community. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord. Also, one final announcement, as I almost forgot. There is a little missions table out front. You saw in the video this morning some of the work that's being done in Africa with the albino children. Uh, if you want to sponsor one of those kids, if you want to make a contribution to our missions ministry, there's a missions table out there with change jars. You can stop by there and uh, get involved. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord.